0: Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbine, community based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices.
1: And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth.
0: Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a soul, soul fire production. Fire. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good middle of the night. From my still almost completely empty house <laughs> in Kanab, Utah.
1: Yay. He's not on the road anymore. He's landed in Utah. Houston.
0: <laughs> Houston?
1: Yeah, oh. Never mind. I was gonna try and
0: Do we um, have a problem? I was gonna
1: try Yeah, I was gonna try and come up with a joke around it, but it didn't pan out. Yeah. So how are things there? Are you doing good?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean it's a slow process, but my life is on, you know, I'm playing my life on 33 now. Do you know what that that means? A record. Yeah. 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 Uh As as opposed to 77, which is really fast where people talk really fast all the time.
1: I know (laughs) once once you leave L.A., I talk to people about this all the time. Once you leave L.A. and you go back in either on a phone call or you dip back in, you see how people are living in such a stressful way. And once you get out of there, the way you look at things and the way you approach life and the pace of things is so different. Wow, that I lived there my entire life is it's really interesting.
0: yeah, you know, I, th- I think a lot about it on the, the same thing because I was on the road a lot. Mm-hmm. And other than occasionally, when I would pass through a, a city, I was really not where there were a lot of people. I really never had a lot of traffic. I was never in a rush to get anywhere. When I was in towns like Austin or Dallas, I just had to get to my destination, and then somebody else did the driving. Mm-hmm. So it was it, it was really a respite. And I and I'm not looking forward, actually, to coming back to L.A. for a few weeks and, and also to get my stuff and get out of there. Yeah, it's really you know, I can't believe that I spent 40 years. Yeah. In yeah. Los Angeles. Now, of course, it wasn't the same Los Angeles as it, it is now when I first got there.
1: Truth.
0: I mean, I people- think there, there were half as many people, I think, living in California in 1982 than there are now.
1: Wow. That's an interesting statistic. People invite me for things, you know, they're like, oh, you're not that far. Come down for whatever. And I'm like, uh, I'm allergic. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I can't do it. Well,
0: you know, it's an interesting too. You know, St. George airport, which is the closest airport for me, you can fly in and out of, it's a cute little Mm -hmm. airport actually. It's 80 miles from here. It takes about an hour and 10 minutes to get there, maybe an hour and 15. And I think about it sometimes when I'm in the valley, at my Studio City home and I got to go to LAX. It takes me an hour.
1: <laughs> it's the same. To go 16 miles. Totally. Um, so what's oh, the gosh. What's
0: this beautiful country? It's just beautiful country out here. Good for um, us. The red cliffs are around, the rolling in the desert. It's the clouds. The sky is endless.
1: Yeah, good for us. We're moving into a different time in our life. And I'm I'm happy for both of us. Although I will miss seeing you. I'm lucky to be able to see you on the podcast.
0: Yeah, I have a feeling that when I'm living here and I'm not on call, that I'm going to be doing a lot of traveling. And some of it will be in the Beast. And some of it will be by airplane or by car. But, you know, my kids are all still in SoCal. So Mm -hmm. I'm certain that I'll be coming back for holidays and events and things like that. And, it, you know, and I'll try the airport a few times and see how it goes. Will I leave a car in Los Angeles? I don't think so. So I'll have to figure out how that's going to work. But anyway, nonetheless, it's fun getting organized here. It's getting to know the woman at the post office and getting to know some of the people that own the restaurants here. Knowing everybody by name at the checkout, lady at the checkout stand at the grocery store knows me because the other time when I was in and I spent $500 on (laughs) brooms and pots and pails and things like that. And she obviously knows who I am now, so.
1: Yeah. That's small town living. It's, it's, it's actually sweet. Um, so today, thanks to a listener, we are going to be talking about the cord insertion. So we'll get to that in just a couple minutes, but we wanted to read some letters as well. Did you have one too, or you want me to just jump in? Well,
0: you know, we've heard a lot about my traveling and stuff like that. Are things pretty settled down for you right now?
1: <laughs> Obviously I have nothing to report. I'm off call right now. And that's been lovely as, as we, as birth workers know, I'm not even really traveling anywhere right now. I was going to go see my boys, but it didn't work out with the place that I normally stay at. And so I'm just kind of doing stuff around here, but it was great. The other day I was able to hop in my car and go up and go dancing with my, my midwife friend, Tanya in San Luis Obispo. And I just was like, I'm just going to stay the weekend and you know, had had a little too much wine and it didn't matter. I didn't have to drive. I didn't, I wasn't on call. didn't have to go anywhere. And You know, we as birth workers, you know, it's almost like when we're off call, we're like, we want to party a little bit. I don't mean like really, but you know, my friend joked around, she's like, yeah, for us, that means two glasses of wine and passing out with our phone off. (laughs) but it's the little things right it's just like yes. being able to do that so um i may go to cambria which also has terrible reception so it's not a good place to go it's about two and a half hours from where i live i might do that for a couple of days and there's a sweet little hotel up there that i discovered that's across the street from the beach moonstone beach and and they have a real wood burning fireplaces in all of their rooms and so i love a good fire so i you think know, i might do that
0: that sounds great and you know it's interesting because you've got Pretty good community that you've set up there. I don't have any community here yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fine with that.
1: <laughs> well, you'll miss it soon.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I will. But yeah. on the other hand, I'm looking forward to sort of meeting some people and being invited yeah. to go someplace for dinner and having drinks. And yeah, I'm sort of looking forward to having normal social existence where, you know, everything is five minutes.
1: Yes. <laughs> That is a lovely thing about it. Like, you know, for me, it's eight minutes, but you're right. Yeah. It's
0: awesome. Yeah. Right now the weather is changing. So I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to be able to ride my electric bike around. But you know, even when it's if even when it's 50, I'll do it. But when it starts to get the 30s, I don't think so.
1: <laughs> it won't be so much fun.
0: No. <laughs> All right. So okay. wh- what do you what do you got for us?
1: Well, I'm just gonna read a letter from Marvi Rivera. She sent me a letter. It's so sweet. She says, hello, Bliss. I will say thank you in advance for reading my message and reading it on the podcast. I'm aware that it could be a little all over the place, but I have to get this off my chest. I recently started listening to Birthing Instincts and by doing so realized that I was incredibly starved for information, realness, and genuine empathy. I had to reach out to Dr. Stu with some postdoc questions, but I felt like I owed you an email as well because you bring so much valuable insight to the table as well. I got to the Birthing Instincts podcast because I grew a baby in my belly for 19 weeks. And on April 27th, he decided it was time to leave the planet. The OBGYN team dropped the ball every step of the way. And after three ER visits, persistent fevers, I think you read her letter on. And the, one, de- the one that de- you wrote
0: to me. Yeah, uh, I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And a degenerating fibroid in my body became septic. Needless to say, I have come to Resent the hospital environment and the so called professionals that abused me and my tiny baby. This is why I'm now in a continuous state of research for things that will help me get stronger, healthier, and maybe allow me to have my very own home birth in the future. I certainly don't have any cool or happy stories to share for now, but I do have a ton of gratitude for the way you opened up your heart to the rest of us in this community. When I heard you talk about your daughter on episode 277, it brought me back to my father. He was also murdered when I was eight months old. It has taken me 30 years to finally claim myself as his daughter and feel his subtle yet constant presence in my life. I want to tell you that you are so appreciated and loved for being exactly who you are and for sharing your path you walk on right now. My heart is with yours. I am grateful to have heard your story and I will f- will forever send kindness your way, even though I have never met you. Thank you for being you and doing what you do with empathy and gratitude.
0: Right. She this this woman is exceptional because she I mean not only is her story tragic and heart-wrenching but she's taking the time to write both of us separately. Uh, yeah. about it. So it's good for it's cathartic for her and it's also brave to do that.
1: Yeah, we're making a difference and you know, we read these sometimes we can share some information as we go through these stories and then sometimes it's just nice to know that, you know, we're connecting as a community. And we're here for each other. And for me personally, I just want to say it is really interesting for me to navigate my grief in a public forum. It's interesting to know how much to say, to know what's valuable. You know, I struggle with whether or not it diminishes people's faith in my work. You know, does that make sense when I say that?
0: It makes sense when you say it. I don't think it does diminish people's value of your work. but.
1: But I struggle with that, you know, like I think maybe you can empathize as a man, you know, like the showing weakness or that you're not strong or always have it together. Sometimes as a birth worker, for me, people who are relying on me to be the one that has it together for them. Sometimes I think that those can be collapsed, but I also have so much compassion for people who are dealing with grief. And I want it to become a normal part of our dialogue because I think that when we shy away from it, it causes more harm as a culture than it helps. You
0: know, a thought that pops into my head when you say that is if somebody looks at your story and thinks it's going to interfere with the care that you're going to give them, I'm not necessarily saying that's a very narcissistic viewpoint on their point, but maybe then you're not the right person to be caring for them. And that's fine nothing wrong with that. But if somebody can't see past your pain, because all they can see is themselves. Yeah, that's not necessarily the right client. I know that you would want still to take care of that client, but it's not necessarily a situation that's the best. Yeah, I mean, people that forget that we're human. And that we have, (laughs) we have issues that come up in our lives, too. And we're supposed to just shut it off. When we walk into somebody's birth and not have any triggers or not have any, you know, premature cognitive commitments or anything like that, that's not possible. You know, it's not human. And our model is to be very, very, very human. It yeah. doesn't fit with everybody's model. I don't understand how my colleagues enjoy their work because they don't even have time to have the human thing. And I, one of the things I love about our podcast, list is that, you know, one-on-one in the office, we reach people all the time one person an hour or one family an hour. When we get to do it on the podcast, we get to expand it to a much greater platform. And I I sort of like the bully pulpit that we have here to be able to reach out. And then we do it not necessarily to get accolades, but getting accolades from people and getting letters like that makes the work that much more worthwhile.
1: Yeah. And I don't think it's really about the accolade necessarily. It's about knowing that we are impacting people in a positive way. And so, but you know, that's interesting that you talk about like the clients not right for you. And I think this is something I talk to my mentees about a lot is like what I have learned from, you know, being a professional for as long as I have now, the more that you, are true to yourself and true to your voice. And you're really good at this, like really speaking your mind. Then the people that are attracted to what it is that you want to give, you guys come together. And then you have so much more fun too. When you don't have to like pretend or hide or whatever, and you can just be yourself and be true about what it is that's true for you. Then the people that are attracted to you are the ones that you really want to be working with. And I had a hard week a couple of weeks ago. And- I had some visits that I needed to do that day. And I ended up talking to the amazing, beautiful midwives, wise midwives from my bridge midwives group. And they really, you know, encouraged me to drop back into what I knew so well when I was on the road and nobody was relying on me, that sometimes you just have to take it one moment at a time and do whatever you really are available for. And I canceled some appointments that day. I just said, I'm so sorry, I have to reschedule. And one of them decided she didn't want me to be her midwife anymore. And so I really looked at that and I was like, that's okay, because it wasn't a good fit. I could tell that it wasn't a good fit in general. And I think that was probably just the tipping point for her. And, you know, you release yourself of somebody that down the road, you may have a really uncomfortable situation with them, especially with the intimacy and the intensity and the responsibility that we have as being the primary caregiver at a birth. And so I just took it as a sign from God that it was the right thing. And you're absolutely right.
0: Yeah. It's one of those things that when you are, when you're insecure or have, uh, you know, feelings like you're not worthy, when something like that happens to you, you feel really bad about it. And when you're more mature. And you've reached a point in life where you maybe, I don't want to say it this way, but you don't give as much of a fuck. Those things are, they roll off you like water off a duck's back. Yeah. As, as they should, because you can't please everybody all the time. You know, I was thinking back to our, just popped into my head about the Joe Rogan thing that we talked about last time. And it's like, I don't think Joe Rogan's too broken up about the fact that you and I or a lot of birth working people were sort of annoyed with him because he I think he's got a pretty decent self-esteem.
1: So, yeah, yeah, I would right. say so.
0: <laughs> so it's the same thing here. We can't please everybody. And you're right. Sometimes these things are blessings. And, you know, hopefully they land on their feet someplace else with somebody else that's a good practitioner.
1: Yeah. Freeze her up to be with somebody that she feels comfortable with.
0: I got an interesting one I wanted to read to you. Great. This is from a guy.
1: Oh, I think Not one often. of my one of my
0: three guy Instagram followers. No, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I got more than three, but but this is from a guy, and he says his name is the dude. That's his handle. Which he's, is he's,
1: he's really a guy.
0: Yeah, he's really a guy. He says, Hi, Dr. Stu, My wife met you at the breach workshop in Kentucky, and we are big fans. I am passionate about parenting, fatherhood, and building educated, supportive men during the birthing process and postpartum. Do you have any references or resources that I can get smart on? for a daddy doula quote program. Now, I don't think he means dads to be doulas. I mean, I think he means doulas or just helping men navigate the process.
1: Be better part.
0: Uh, Yeah, I would like to start a coaching mentoring thing for men and don't want to just phone it in with this. I know you're busy and I appreciate any time you can spare to this. And this guy's name is Preston. So I would say that I think there are people that are doing some things like that. Um, I can't. We think definitely of a, need it. I it's can't definitely. think of any names offhand. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if your brother would have any knowledge about stuff like that. If John would, uh, no, you're shaking your head. Okay, so not not. not his world. Yeah, I could talk to but, Elliot. Um, I could the talk birth to Elliot. Part-
1: yeah.
0: Oh, the birth partners.
1: The birth partner is a book by Penny Simpkins. Oh, and okay. that is a book that I normally recommend. That. Because a lot of the a lot of the information that's out there for dads, you know, we were talking again, we were talking in the last podcast with Joe Rogan and his guests, you know, as people who are uncomfortable with the topic, what they do a lot is they just make light of it. And so a lot of the books and stuff, information that's out there for dads are very jokey and very like, you know, you're going to be a dad. But if you want like real information, that book by Penny Simpkins has a lot of really good information. And I remember when I was doing the sanctuary, we kept trying to get a dad's group started. And you really need men to gather men, not women to gather men, but men to gather men and do it the way that men want to do it. Because you know, men don't want to sit around in a circle and talk about their feelings necessarily. Maybe they do, but maybe they want to do it like playing sports or, you know, the one that ended up happening was dads and donuts. So they would bring coffee and donuts and they would just, you know, kind of shoot the shit rather than how women tend to do it. So I encourage him, if he has a passion for this, I think that that would be a really good compliment and addition to what we need.
0: Yeah. In- one of my, one of my friends, um, Bruce down in San Diego, he was a OBGYN for Kaiser for years. He's been retired for a while. He wrote a book like 20, maybe 25 years ago called Your Guy's Guide to Gynecology. Mm-hmm. And it was actually, it wasn't a funny book. It was a book mm-hmm. about guys and gynecology. What does it mean when your woman says this? Or you know, uh-huh. a, lot of, a lot of things about female parts that guys really don't know much about. That's great. And I'm not sure if there's an obstetrical section in that book, but uh, Preston, you might See if it's still available on Amazon. Your Guy's Guide to Gynecology by Bruce Bikar, B-E-K-K-A-R.
1: Salty yep. AF.
0: I have my Salty AF water bottle here. Um, <laughs> Element is one of our sponsors, LMNT. And they are a tasty electrolyte drink with all of the good stuff and none of the... BS, like us. Like us. Right. I love when you say that. It's, I look forward to it every week. It's got electrolytes in it, which is what you really need when you need a, a replenishment, when you're sweating, when you're working out, when you're in labor, when you've been up for 80 hours uh, <laughs> taking care of somebody in labor. It yeah. would have been good. You might have been more refreshed if you would have had your element. And,
1: I probably would have.
0: Right. It's really good for those sorts of situations. And, it's, and uh, it, it's so much better than some of the other drinks which have sugar or other fake sugars or things in them. As you know that I drink, I shouldn't, but I do. So um, it comes in multiple flavors. Bliss's favorite is uh, uh, mango chili and mine is raspberry, Mm -hmm. but it comes in, let's see, I think I got to memorize now, citrus and rasp. well, raspberry is my favorite, and um, orange and lemon habanero and... uh,
1: Watermelon.
0: Watermelon.
1: Unflavored.
0: Unflavored. And And chocolate salt, right? Anyway, if you go to drink element... Dot com, that's drink dot com, and put in the code word birthing instincts. You'll get a free sample pack with any order. Uh, please uh, support them as they support the podcast. And we just want to send our gratitude to them.
1: Thank you, Element.
0: Thanks, Element. So Bliss, you have another okay. one for us.
1: Yep. So this is another lots of lovely things that she's talking about, but she also has a question for you, which you have the answer. Um, hi, Bliss. Over the past year and a half, I have been binging the Birthing Instincts podcast. I've always been terrified to become a mom as kids have scared me. Listening to the podcast weekly has made me not only more informed, but more comfortable having a baby. Look at that, Stu. I love
0: that.
1: I can't thank thank you and Dr. Stu enough. I literally look forward to the weekly release every Wednesday. I love y'all and your podcast. I took a pregnancy test and received my first positive Pregnancy test. I wanted to reach out and ask if you or Dr. Stu had any recommendations for a midwife in Houston, Texas. I have looked online at some, but I thought I'd ask because I would love someone that both of you would trust. I want someone who will respect my wishes, support me, and not pressure me to do anything out of comfort or convenience to them. I wanted to say thank you. My dad passed in January before my wedding, and it took me months to muster up enough courage to listen to the Sky episode while making my way through the podcast it it made me cry but yeah. it was everything i needed Every in that moment uh, yeah it was everything that i needed in that moment when i was able to listen to it thank you for being vulnerable and sharing thank you so much anita so i don't know anybody in houston texas but you do
0: yeah i don't know a lot of people by i, I know everybody by their first name and i don't exactly know so i put out a feeler while we were doing this and we got a response back for a midwife named blair christman K-R-I-S-M-A-N, Blair is B-L-A-I-R. So she can reach out to Blair Chrisman and maybe you can get that from me and you can message her back too. And if I hear of any others, I'll forward them to you.
1: Yeah, and the thing that I wanna tell you guys is, we don't know providers in other areas, unfortunately. You know, I keep talking about maybe doing some kind of directory so that we can do that. But we get asked all the time for doulas and chiropractors and, you know, midwives and doctors in different parts of the country or world. And unfortunately, we just don't know. We do our best, but yeah. um, I guess I mean, I'm getting to, to meet ask, people. but
0: <laughs> I'm getting to meet people all over the place. The problem is, is I have a real problem with remembering names and exactly where, what city they're from. I mean, just because I met somebody at a at a Bre- reteach breach seminar in Austin doesn't mean they're from Austin. Right. This one just came in too. There's a birth center in Houston called the Wellspring Midwifery. So that's another one she can check into, Wellspring Great. Midwifery.
1: Awesome. So let's get to our topic. So
0: can I, can I do one more quick one or no?
1: Of course. Yeah.
0: Okay. So this is just a quick one. That's uh, sort of getting us onto the topic of medical stuff. It's very short. She says, uh, uh, "Hi, Dr. Stu. I was wondering your thoughts on testing hormones in the early weeks of pregnancy with a history of miscarriage. Do you think low progesterone levels can cause miscarriage? I've heard mixed data on this, thank you." And she says, "Also that your sound on the podcast is sounding great," she said.
1: <laughs> thanks for the, so the feedback.
0: The, the, the big mics are working. That's great. <laughs> um, I quickly wrote her back. I said, "Thanks." I suppose it might be helpful. I've always wondered if it is like the chicken or the egg thing. Is a woman miscarrying because her progesterone is low or is the progesterone low because the woman, the body knows that a miscarriage is inevitable? Mm-hmm. And my feeling is that a healthy pregnancy with the non-interventionist route that you guys, you midwives have sort of taught me is that I don't know that, you know, I know that my uh, reproductive endocrinology guys all believe in giving progesterone. And baby aspirin and all that stuff for first, you know, repetitive miscarriages. But I'm not sure that it works or not. I mean, there are papers that say it does. But again, my question is is that if the pregnancy is not stimulating the part of the ovary where the egg came from, called the corpus luteum, to make progesterone, what happens is that the HCG that's developing in the placenta of the developing embryo or fetus feeds back on that and causes that. It, Part of the ovary to continue to make progesterone for about 10 weeks. When a woman doesn't get pregnant, that progesterone part of the ovary, that corpus luteum, will continue for about two weeks. And then when it realizes nothing's going on, their progesterone levels will fall and uh, the lining will shed and the whole thing will start over again. But if it gets, if pregnancy occurs, then something has to tell that part of the ovary to keep going for about 10 weeks until the placenta is then big enough to manufacture enough placenta to keep, I mean, progesterone to keep the uh, pregnancy going. So when you have a low progesterone, is it a sign that the pregnancy is struggling and there's a problem or is it a sign there's a problem with the corpus luteum? It's hard to know. The thing about natural progesterone, as far as we know, and we're not talking about synthetic progesterone, but oral micronized progesterone or vaginal progesterone suppositories, we don't think there's any harm. We don't have noticed any harm. It's been used for quite some time So it's not like something like thalidomide or DES, or DES was specifically used to prevent miscarriage and caused all kinds of problems because it it was a synthetic hormone. Um, So giving it, probably erring on the side of caution makes some sense, especially in the medical model where doing something is what we, you know, sort of what our purveyance is, is what we're told we, you know, we're supposed to do stuff. You know, there was a study... I don't know how good a study it was, but it was an observation maybe. They looked at patients with a cold or flu who went to see a doctor. And one doctor saw them for less than five minutes and wrote them a prescription for an antibiotic. And the other doctor saw them for 20 minutes or more and explained to them why antibiotics don't work for the virus. And then they did a survey of the people and they asked them who the better doctor was. And a majority of people said the better doctor was the one that saw them for less than five minutes, but wrote them a prescription because people want them to... People go in to see somebody they want to be given something as opposed to be told that just give it some time, take some remedies, take care of yourself, it'll go away on its own. They don't like that. So when a woman is spotting or has had a history of miscarriage, the doctor wants to do something so they write a prescription for progesterone. It may work. It may not work. It's probably innocuous. So you have to decide for yourself. Comments?
1: No, not on the progesterone. On the study that you said of comparing the two different kinds of doctors, I just am shaking my head. And I know what you're talking about because I do think going back to like clients that aren't really meant for me, you can see the look on their face when I tell them recommendations or say, it's not something to worry about. It's like the philosophy or the theories or the way that you look at life is just not aligned. And that's okay. You know, We don't all have to feel that way. But I do think that if you're a human being with the body, which we all are, you should know a little you should know a yes. little bit about how your body functions and about viruses and about antibiotics, and what are the downsides to just taking one pill after another after another. And then by the time you get older, you've got tons of pills that you're taking and all kinds of interactions and all these complications now that you're having to deal with that if you were actually understanding what was happening to your body and caring for yourself to the degree that you can right like at some point you might need medicine at some point you might need surgery but when you've taken care of yourself for decades and kept antibiotics at bay except for when it's really needed and your quality of life long term is going to be so much better so you just have to really think about like what the ramifications are and i just feel like so many people just you know they want a pill, they want to just have somebody fix them. They don't want to think about it too much or take responsibility. And I don't relate to that. So that's okay. It's a different way of looking at things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for thank you for reaffirming that. that. It is. Yeah. And again, the medical model teaches you to fix stuff. And because that's the way we're taught. And sometimes fixing stuff means just reassuring people, but we live in a society, as you said, you know, if something's broken, they want it fixed right away. They don't, you know, they don't want to give it time to heal or whatever else. So, yeah. yeah, Right. And so that's why we have homeopathic people and naturopathic people. And, and that's why we have modern medicine. People can pick for themselves. And one of the basic tenets of medical ethics, which I just happen to have pulled up here.
1: <laughs> just happen is- to have it.
0: From the American Medical Association, which is not an organization I have much respect for. However, their code of ethics says, rational, informed patients should not be expected to act uniformly, even under similar circumstances, in agreeing to or refusing treatment. So we should never expect all people to listen to what we're saying and agree with us. But people shouldn't expect everybody that they're talking to, to agree with them either. That's right. So it's time to talk about another one of our sponsors. And this is a brand new sponsor who I was fortunate enough to meet some of the people that work there when I was at a dinner in Austin, Texas from thisisneeded.com. So Bliss, tell us a little bit about them.
1: Well, you know what's so cool is Julie, one of the founders, was my client. She had a beautiful home birth with me. And I know this company really well because she's in Los Angeles. And Needed is a nutrition company focused on optimal nourishment for mamas. Needed offers the most comprehensive prenatal multi on the market with the best nutrient forms and dosages to help you thrive, not just survive. Not only is this nutritionally complete, But it also comes in three options, a powder, which I really love when they do powders for prenatals, because some women don't really like to take pills, especially when they feel nauseous. So they can throw it in a smoothie and get a lot of great benefits. So that I really do love capsules or essentials. The founder of needed are two mamas who discovered through their own nutrient testing that they were extremely deficient in the key prenatal nutrients despite eating healthfully and taking a prenatal they dug into the research and found that they were not alone 90 percent of women who take a prenatal vitamin and yet 95 percent are left with nutrient deficiencies so julie and ryan went to work and redesigned prenatal multi from the ground up with a group of perinatal nutrition and health practitioners so check them out they have an amazing line of prenatal vitamins and choline and collagen and all kinds of really great stuff. So yeah. check them out.
0: Yeah, I got a gift bag from them and it was filled to the brim with all the different things they have. And once I get my medicine chest in order in the new house, I'll be excited to open them all and start giving the ones that are appropriate for me to try.
1: Yeah, because they have a line for men too now.
0: It's right. Crazy. And and you know what? There's a lot of variety out there. It's kind of like when you're shopping for shampoo, and you look at the shelf, and you don't even know where to begin if you don't have a brand that's your favorite. So let's make Needed our new favorite brand and, and use them. And all you have to do is to go to thisisneeded.com, just spell it out, T-H-I-S-I-S-N-E-E-D-E-D.com. And in this case, put in the code word "birthing instincts," and you'll get either 20% off a one-time purchase, which is a really good deal, or you'll get $100 off of a three months or greater subscription. So Go to thisisneeded.com and use Birthing Instincts and give them a try. They support us, so we're going to support them.
1: Yay, needed. Thank you, needed. Okay, so Trisha, let's see. I guess she emailed this to me. She said, hi, Bliss. I looked through the podcast and didn't find any podcasts about this, which is The Lamentous Chord. My question is about velamentous cord insertion. How many times is this discovered prior to delivery? Is it a risk factor for home birth or vaginal birth altogether? Any other insight you have would be appreciated. So, thanks for the idea. And what do you have to say, Stu? Well,
0: I have to say that it's a random event. It's very rare. It's almost always up until the more recent color Doppler flow over utilization of ultrasound was a finding that occurred when the placenta came out and people would go, oh, look at this. (laughs) Ah. Look look at this weird insertion of the cord. Can you talk
1: about what it is for those of us that don't know first?
0: Yeah. velamentous insertion of the cord is, well, first let's talk about a normal insertion of the cord. The cord normally inserts into the body of the placenta and it can be central. It can be off-centered, it can be marginal, but it doesn't really matter. The cord is this, as everybody knows, like a hose, which carries three vessels in it. It carries two arteries and one vein. The arteries are taking blood away from the baby to the mother. In urine I circulation, arteries are the carrying the oxygen-rich blood and the nutrient-rich blood. It's the opposite in a baby It carries away the blood that's got higher levels of carbon dioxide and the waste products to the mother, and then the vein which in you and I is bringing back blood from our body to our heart to pump through the lungs. The vein in the cord is bringing back blood that's got all the mom's good stuff in it. So there's three vessels they are wrapped in this jelly called Wharton's jelly. It's this rubbery stuff. And, and usually it inserts right into the placenta where it's very protected. Right. Kind of like buying a hose at Home Depot. It's the good kind of hose where if you bent it, the water would still flow through it. -hmm. A velamentous insertion is where the cord inserts into the usually the margin of the placenta, but the vessels splay out. The three vessels splay out outside of Wharton's jelly before the cord reaches the body of the placenta. Through the
1: amniotic sac,
0: through the membranes. Yeah, it's in the it's inside the membranes of the sac. It's not Mm -hmm. floating in the. It's not floating freely in through the sac, but it's in the membranes. Yes. So, in theory, if you just look at it from visual point of view, it looks more vulnerable. It looks right. like it doesn't have the rubbery stuff protecting it, and the vessels are more vulnerable. And if there were to be a tear in the membranes, could it theoretically easily tear into one of those vessels? And the answer is yes, it can happen. And when that velamentous insertion is actually extending over the cervix but not the placenta, that's called a vasa previa. It uses the word previa because it's first, and the vessels are first. That is a problem because then just like a placenta previa, in order for the baby to get out, the baby would have to tear through its own blood vessels. So vasa previa, like placenta previa, is a re- reason for cesarean. But a velamentous insertion is not. It's not a reason for a cesarean in and of itself. You can see velamentous insertions more commonly... In babies that have other issues. There could be anatomic problems with them. There could be growth problems with them. Sometimes you might be more likely to see it in twins or multiples, simply because the placentation is more complicated. And also more commonly seen, I think, not. I can't give you a statistic on this, but I think I'm right when I say in IVF-type situations. Mm-hmm. So that's the rundown of velamentous insertions. But the key to remember is that when you get a report back at your 20-week ultrasound and the MFM or the ultrasound tech has done color studies on you looking at things they probably didn't really need to look at, but they looked at them anyway, and now they find a insertion, you're going to be considered a high-risk pregnancy. can be labeled from that point onward. Mm -hmm. But even ACOG doesn't say that a insertion is a reason for intervention or a cesarean section. As a matter of fact, they, they don't.
1: Okay, but vasa previa
0: would be. Vasa previa would be. Now, mm-hmm. if a woman has a velamentous insertion and you, you know, you might want to watch a little closer for things like growth restriction. That sort of thing you want to look very carefully for any other anomalies. That sort of, that sort of thing you might find even placental anomalies. You might find that woman has a bilobe placenta or a succentrate lobe, which is a separate lobe completely separate from the placenta. That communicates by some also skimpily protected vessels from one to the other.
1: Just because it's a, it's a different formation doesn't necessarily mean that that makes it high risk either, though.
0: No, because there's nothing you can do about it except worry.
1: <laughs> or have a cesarean.
0: Right. But if you got to that point, then, I mean, I think what they're saying is, is it more risky in labor? And the question is, most of the time, No. Because, as I said, most of these are discovered after the baby's delivered vaginally. However, you know, when someone's in labor, if they do have a cord that can be compromised, even if it's not of elementous insertion, you're going to start to hear those what we call variable decelerations, which are, you know, decelerations that occur with a contraction, they drop suddenly down, they come right back up again. Those sorts of D cells that can be seen. and if if you start to hear those in labor, and you knew the woman had a LMS insertion, your index of suspicion should be a little bit higher that this might turn out to be a problem and you need to watch carefully. And if you start to see other signs, transporting is not an unreasonable thing. But it's not something you should expect to transport, nor is it somebody that should be risked out of care, as we like to say in our profession. I get consulted on it all the time. Is this something that would risk my client out of care? The answer is from a absolutely, midwife. absolutely not. Yeah. From a midwife.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so from my perspective, you know, I always try and look at like, well, what if we didn't do ultrasounds, you know? And, and what if you didn't know that this was the case? What would that be? And you're right. A lot of times I will see posts and stuff on Instagram of people were are like, wow, look at this. Look at this insertion. We're so glad that everything went well. Well, I believe that most of the time things are going to go well. And the end the body again, even though this is a variation of normal, just like a breach is a variation of normal, the body is really wise. And so what you wanna be really careful about is. This is another one of those reasons why breaking a bag may not be a great idea, because you don't know if that bag is going to be ruptured in a way that would compromise one of those vessels. So I think that if you find out that you have a velamentous cord insertion, you know, there is a potentially a, a slightly higher risk of having an issue, but The statistics, again, are on your side, and it's up to you to do your risk-benefit analysis and decide whether or not that's something with such a low concern of having a real issue, whether or not that's something that you feel comfortable with.
0: And I know in the medical model bliss that you're Mm -hmm. going to be labeled, and you're going to be told that this is a problem and that we need to induce you early or that we need to do a C-section on you. So do your research, because ultimately, the data doesn't support that. Can there be a bad outcome? Of course. There can always be a bad right. outcome. Right. right.
1: Without that, there right. could be a bad, a bad so outcome.
0: So yeah. do some people with velamentous insertions have bad outcomes? Yes. Could they have been prevented by sectioning them at 36 weeks when they had a problem at 37 weeks or an avulsion of one of the vessels and the baby happened to pass in utero, which can happen? Just like a true knot in a real cord could do that theoretically, but you would never Section someone because you suspected a true knot in the cord on ultrasound. You would right. section them for clinical indications like heart rate abnormalities or growth problems, not right. because of that. So you can never say never or always that it's going to be, but you are, I, I can pretty much say most of the time when this is found in the medicalized birth model, they're going to make a big deal out of it. And then you're going to yeah, have yeah. something to worry about the rest of your pregnancy, which you have no control over whatsoever. So this is another thing about, it's just a philosophy of not worrying about it.
1: Right. And it should not risk you out of home birth or vaginal birth.
0: Yeah. And one other very important thing about this, obviously, is another reason why in the third stage of labor, you do not want to be pulling on the umbilical cord. I mean, you don't want to do it anyway in our model. But if somebody has a velamentous insertion and the placenta isn't coming, don't pull on the cord. because you're going to have to go up Don't and get the placenta anyway, because the cord's going to rip off. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right.
1: right. All right. That was well, easy.
0: That's a mini topic. Sometimes we have a topic that takes the whole hour, but there's really not that much about velamentous insertions that you need no, to know.
1: But that's good. Now someone can search for it and get the information. So that's great.
0: Yeah. Is there anything else on velamentous insertions from a midwife perspective?
1: No. I mean, I think okay. that you know, sometimes sometimes there's an abnormality and, you know, most of the time it's going to turn out. And if you have an ultrasound and know it, then you're going to have to decide how you feel about that. And if you don't have an ultrasound, then you're not even going to know. And we'll take out, you know, the placenta will come out and we'll be like, whoa, look at that. That's different.
0: Yeah, this is one of those things where the 20 week ultrasound, unfortunately, they're looking for more and more things. Like I mentioned, I think in a previous podcast where the The cervix was over five and a half centimeters long, but there was a little area that was thinner and somebody all worked up about it. And so you find things that lead you down the path to having more and more issues. So it looks like we lost bliss, which happens sometimes. And I'm always sad when I lose bliss (laughs) because I I get these hours with her every Wednesday and it's just fun for me. But I want to say thank you for listening again. We hope that your lives are full during this upcoming holiday season, that you have a beautiful Thanksgiving with your families, and that nobody has any restrictions on you again, ever again, to interfere with the holidays that matter most to us. So on behalf of Bliss, uh, again, thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, Have a great evening, great middle of the night, and we'll see you next time. Okay, bye-bye.